Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, Tuesday the 7th of February here in Auckland, New Zealand. Just over a week away from the opening test match of the New Zealand-England series, which is going to take place a day-night game at the Bay Oval, followed by the second test at the Basin Reserve. We're going to talk squads and selection, tactics and baseball predictions, all coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, guys, we're going to preview a series that none of us have got any idea about in terms of what's going to happen in this seemingly new era of Test Match Cricket, certainly for the England team. A little bit of a changing of the guard as well in that Black Caps lineup. First time in a, a little while we won't see Trent Bolt during a home summer, mm-hmm. certainly in that first Test Match. So, look, guys, we've... we've written this down as squads and selection tactics and predictions I don't know other than getting the squads correct as they stand today I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how accurate this is all going to be but Lippy maybe come to you as the the home captain so to speak <laughs> thoughts on the the squad named from a black caps perspective yeah well no no Raj here in the room tonight so uh yeah being the uh the sole New Zealand representative a lot of pressure uh, on my shoulders but yeah, I was just saying to you guys before. I think it's a, a largely, a largely straightforward selection in terms of squads, largely predictable. But in many ways, there's still quite a lot of talking points. And and I think the first one that that stands out is the selection of Ish Sodi as as a number one spinner. We kind of talked about it a little bit after the Pakistan series that by the end of that series, he was certainly being used as the number one spinner particularly in, as an attacking option. I think you could probably argue that Michael Bracewell was the, the more consistent bowler across that series, but certainly, you know, Ish was the one that they turned to when they wanted wickets. And, he, and you know, on the flip side of that, it meant that Ajaz was sort of phased out. And it you sort of try and think to yourself, okay, well, you know, 12 months ago, Sodi wasn't in the picture. Ajaz was quite clearly regarded as the number one test spinner. And... I don't know, we'll need to get a spin opinion here. Like, I don't know, as much as I feel really stoked for Ish, because, you know, we talk, we've talked to him before about his ambitions for Test Cricket. I was, it was great to see him go back over to Pakistan and, and do the job and, and really take that opportunity. You love to see it when someone gets an opportunity to go and do something that they want to do and, and actually grab that. But I feel I feel really rough for Ajaz. It, it feels like he wasn't used that well in Pakistan you know, uh, who knows whose responsibility that was. You could put it down to a, a number of different things. But, you know, where, where to now for him? I think it's it's his headspace must be all over the place. Understandably. It's a, it's a gut-wrenching decision to have left him out of this New Zealand squad. Only a 14-man squad named. So if you think about, and it's pretty obvious, the way that New Zealand have played their cricket over the last several years at home, there's not a lot of room for a spinner in that New Zealand squad unless you can bat in the top seven. So that's why Michael Bracewell is in the squad. That's why we've seen uh, Ruchin Ravindra in and around that New Zealand squad for some time in home test match conditions. I was quite surprised that they were bold enough to pick a spinner in the squad. I think it's a positive move. It's a positive move to pick a positive attacking spinner, wrist spin or finger spin in Ish Sodi, and I'm stoked for him. But as you say, it's it's really gut-wrenching to think that you know, little over two years ago, Ajaz took the first 13 wickets for New Zealand in a test, and now he's not even in a 14-man squad. It it really is gut-wrenching for a guy to be that successful and then to come back and be an afterthought for New Zealand. And and 
I, 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 I agree with you. His headspace must be asking questions of, well, why, why do I play this game? And if you're a young spinner in New Zealand, why would you play this game? It's so hard to get picked for New Zealand for a home test series, and that's why I'm so stoked for Ish Sodi and to and also for Michael Bracewell as well to potentially get an opportunity to play two test matches at home. But th- this is the future, right? If you want to be a spinner in New Zealand, you have to be able to bat in the top six or seven. Otherwise, opportunities are few and far between for you. Well, and we might see, you know, I mean, you mentioned it before, I you know, we might see Ish not selected in either of those two tests. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the impact of a pink ball test. You know, you mentioned it before. That, you know, I, I can't see him playing in this first game. You go to the Basin Reserve, traditionally it's all been seam-dominated there in, in recent years. So, yeah, there's there's a very good chance that he's been picked in this this squad, but he's he's not going to actually play. And, you know, whether that... I've, I've starting to... I, I think... And you know, being I was going to say analytical, and we've started doing this podcast. I've become more analytical in my thinking about squads and all that kind of stuff. And I start to wonder now whether we, as a as fans, and even the players in many respects, are too precious about being left out of a squad or dropped. And mm. you know, I, I said it before, what kind of headspace might he be in? But there's also the train of thought that he goes well. Or that, you know, he should be thinking, well, I don't play a part here in New Zealand. They've picked a, a squad here that is selected to try and face this particular side who is playing a very particular brand of cricket at the moment. Mm. You know, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I don't know that you should feel completely destroyed if you're not in a squad anymore. When you look around at all the other sports around the world, they're squad sports, you know, basketball, you know, rugby, cricket. They should. They can all follow that same pattern, and yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a tricky one, but yeah, it's. I'm I'm sure AJ is just thinking, you know, what's what's my next year or so going to look like? Because if I don't get a contract, if I'm not playing these games, am I even going to get a contract? And look, I guess especially for him as a single format player, mm. you, you know, the reality is he, from a New Zealand perspective, is only really going to feature in what eight, nine games in a year for for yeah, the Black we'll Caps. So few tests. So you know that's his opportunity to play on that stage. He's, he's not in in and around the white ball squads at all. So, mm. um, but you even just look back, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Three Test matches only at the Bay Oval uh, for for New Zealand. One against England, actually, uh, mm. where Santner was the spinner and actually put in a pretty good performance in that game. I think uh, mm. took three wickets in that second innings. Um, played in the uh, the the other Test match that was there as as well against Pakistan. The the yep. first one. Crucial wickets um, in, that, in that game, and, and then wasn't in the side for the the last one against Bangladesh, where I think Ratchin Ravindra was the, the the spin option in that side, as Baldy alluded to. You know, a, a guy that can bat in the top order and, and bowl a few overs of um, of, of left arm spin. So, um, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit of horses for courses potentially with this, yeah, two test series at you know two grounds um one of which is a pretty good wicket isn't it at the bay oval to be fair usually yeah um, it'd be interesting the, but we've the got that pink ball yeah. pink ball um and then the basin as you say um it normally looks worse than it than it is in terms of you know it's, it's often very very green and then it, it plays okay yeah um but yeah certainly you, you know you're looking at the uh, looking at the square sometimes there and you, you can't figure out where the where the <laughs> wicket is yeah look i you mentioned sentinel and it made me it made me think, and, and Baldy, you were talking about Bracewell, and I don't know, we've talked at length about the the kind of year he's had. But I, I did wonder if the selectors gave any thought to 
picking Santner over Bracewell in that all-rounder spot. I, I know people listening to the podcast might have just recoiled in horror at the mention of Mitch Santner playing Test cricket again because I know that when he was you know, viewed as our number one spinner that there was a lot of uh, disappointment about that and I think that was largely due to the type of bowler he is compared to what we want our dream spin option to be. But yeah, I don't know. We, we talked last week about the the way he's building as an all-rounder. Yeah, I, I, I think Bracewell actually needs some runs in this series to actually show that he can lock down a, an all-round spot for New Zealand because it's all very well to be able to say, oh, well, he can bat seven and, and bowl some overs. And he has bowled those overs reasonably well, but mm. you you have to show that when you bat seven, you can actually get some runs, not just bat seven on paper. And the interesting thing is that both Bracewell and Santner have shown batting chops in the last few white ball series. Bracewell mm. 140 against India. India. I thought Santner has been batting pretty well statistically for New Zealand, more consistent, etc., of of recent times. So from that perspective, there's healthy competition there for, at best, maybe one spot in the team. Mm. So, you know, there's 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 lots of depth there, as they say, in, in squad circles. Let's have a look at the other side of the coin in terms of the bowling squad. Uh, Jamison back into the squad for New Zealand, Trent mm. Bolt out. Is that a straight I'm not like for like replacement but is that a straight in for out and everything else takes care of itself what are you what are you seeing there uh, well the Jamison situation's interesting in that they've already come out and said that he's only going to play one of the the two tests in this series they've viewed I guess they're taking a, a longer picture to his recovery he had a back injury out for a long time very fair to be cautious with back injuries it's, uh, it's something that's certainly not very good if you're a seam bowler so you know they're looking at the fact that we play these two tests against England, then we play two more against Sri Lanka later on in the summer and, you know, looking after his body, make sure that he can manage that situation. So, yeah, it certainly seems like he's going to come in and play this first test, this pink ball test. It's uh, I have seen some talk that he would like to open the bowling, uh, which is interesting in terms of, uh, you know, Matt Henry, I, I think, will be another contender for that alongside Tim Southey. But, you know, Henry's had to bowl uh, first change when it's when he's been in squads with Tim Southey, Trent Bolt before, so he's you know had that opportunity. So yeah, I don't know what they'll do there. I, I personally would probably still lean with Henry and Southey, but in many ways they're they're quite similar bowlers in, in terms of at least yeah what they they're trying to do with the ball, whereas Jamison offers a different sort of factor, doesn't he? Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Neil Wagner in this conversation. There's a certain member of the podcast who's missing, whose head is exploding right now at the <laughs> thought that Neil Wagner wouldn't be given the opportunity to open the bowling for New Zealand now that now that his left arm counterpart has moved on. Well, he won't he won't be given the opportunity, but I, I certainly think he'll play. And you know, if we're talking about the the bigger picture of the seam bowling makeup, the pink ball test, yeah, I just can't I can't see them playing spin in this first test particularly, you know, whether around anyone who's been here in New Zealand knows the kind of summer that we've had and all the floods that, you know, affected the the mountain and the Tauranga area as well. So, you know, the, I, I would expect this is going to be a pitch and a, and a ground where we're going to be playing four seamers and, and those four that we've just named are, are probably the other ones. Blair Tickner is in the squad, a lot of people, you know, another another name that comes up and people sort of, uh, many people sort of say, what's he what's he why is Tickner here? They'd point to people like Doug Bracewell, Jacob Duffy, who are sort of in and around squads as well. You know, those two, Bracewell and Duffy on paper, if you look at uh, 
the Plunkett Shield and, and even Super Smash 4 Trophy, you know, all of the domestic cricket here in New Zealand, statistically would certainly kind of have Tickner covered. Um, but I, I guess that New Zealand is probably, well, I'm, I'm guessing that New Zealand is looking at Tickner and saying he's something different in terms of what we have as a seamer. We've just rattled off all those names. They're all right. Well, you know, Wagner's the left armour who is something different. But the other ones are right armers who do similar-ish things with it, and and that Saudi Henry, and then if you those other names that I rattled off, Bracewell, Duffy, they're all very similar bowlers. So yeah, Tickner actually running in, trying to hit the wicket, maybe in a Neil Wagner kind of style. Uh, you know, that that's something different that he can kind of bring to that squad. You've got to know you've got us to the mass here, Lippy. That first test match just over a week and a, a week and a bit away. What's the eleven that I look, I guess, that you think the selectors will go with in that in that test? Well that probably leads to the other contentious decision that I think they actually have to make and that it's it's probably who bats for for New Zealand and and the way that they've built the squad, they've talked uh after the recent series that New Zealand have played about how Devin Conway stepped up to open and you know that has done a tremendous job kind of wherever he bats for New Zealand but you know again stepped up to opening and did a good job again and they've I'm pretty sure they came out and said look going forward it's going to be Conway and Latham you're going to have Kane there at three and then it comes down to who's going to bat four and you know we've seen Henry Nichols in Pakistan looked incredibly out of sorts you know he looked then out looked out of sorts with the bat uh, in the White Bull series against India. The, he's looked out of sorts, I think, for quite a long time, even in our New Zealand summer, although you look back at the New Zealand summer and he did score 100 against South Africa. You, it, he's a he's a very interesting player because his home record is, he averages, I think, just under just under 50. It's about 48.75 or something when I, when I had a look yesterday, 21 away. So, you know, it's such a difference. And... You can point to a, n- a number of different things, and and even if you're looking at uh, what we talked about before about selection and horses for courses and all of that, actually, if Henry Nichols performs at home, then maybe we should be picking him at home. But it, he feels like the kind of player to me that he sort of just had it. You know, you always say it, Binksy, one one test too many. You'd rather give the player one test too many than one test too few. And but he feels like he's had a couple of tests too too many at the moment in terms of his current position that doesn't mean I think his career is over there's been a lot of that like Henry Nichols should never play for New Zealand again he's only 31 years old there's no reason why he can't be left out of this side and carry on and go back to domestic cricket yeah. score a truckload of runs for Canterbury get get it back in the side there's you know countless and countless examples of players who've gone away and done that maybe not at 31 possibly some of them a bit younger gone away and done that but yeah, I think that's the that's the big decision. I actually do think they will go with Nichols. I don't think you pick him in the squad to bench to to leave him on the bench. I think if they were going to make that call, they'd probably make that call before the series, um, and actually just pick Will Young, who they who is in the squad yeah. and and is the other person to to be in that mix. But I think they would have more than likely said, okay, Henry, you're not in good form. We're going to pick Will Young, and we're going to pick Glenn Phillips as the the backup Spare option, butter, yeah. and then you know go from there. But yeah, apart from, other than that, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. It'll be Mitchell, Blundell, Bracewell, and then those four seamers that we that we just mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Solid, tidy. It's a good squad. It's a it's a vanilla squad, 
but you know it's just quality ice cream quality ingredients and and proper vanilla beans in it so it's it's worth having on the in the freezer i think <laughs> well i hope so the the one question i did want to ask and um possibly would have been more relevant with neil wagner's biggest fan in the room but i think it's a big series for neil wagner actually um in many ways because there's been no secret of his you know his age he's uh there's been a lot of talk about the whole New Zealand squad's age, and Neil Wagner is one of the older members of that 30-plus contingent. He's, in recent times, sort of been usurped a little bit by Matt Henry, in, in, at least in the pecking order, when um, they go overseas and they don't just play four-seamers like they have been in New Zealand. We for, we went through a little while where we were, we were just playing every single series we were playing. It was all four-seamers, and it was the same four-seamers, and... Now we've had a lot of, you know, the last few year, the last year or two, we've had a lot of games where we've had actually had some spinners in the side, and it's meant that Neil Wagner spent a lot of that time sitting on the sidelines. And you know, you can argue about whether that was the right call in, in a lot of those cases, but I think he's gonna, you know, like he just played in Pakistan, played in the first test, was relatively ineffective on, a admittedly, flat rolled snot, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Admittedly, it wasn't a good wicket for for anyone to bowl on, but he's you know he he I think he has to perform in this series, or, or there's a there's a danger that they just go well, you know it's probably time for us to move on. Even as it's not it's not something I especially want to happen, but I think there's a chance that it could. The only thing I think, and, and look, I'll, I'll put the England hat on for a second, and, and that's the hat I often wear, obviously on the podcast. <laughs> if I were that England batting lineup, who would I not? want to face out of that um, barrage of you know seeming options that you've got I think if Bolt was around then there's an argument that you know two left arm seamers you know Bracewell's probably going to bowl a little a little bit of off spin left arm spinner you know creates maybe a little bit of assistance for uh, Michael Bracewell which you know let's be honest he, he's probably going to need if he's going to spin somebody out uh, in a fourth innings mm. so I think the fact that Bolt's not there probably raises Wagner's stock as that slightly different option in terms of left arm. Um, but if I were England, I'd, I'd love to see Wagner on the bench um, and someone like Tickner, uh, Tickner in there. For, for me, I'm probably most worried about uh, Jameson and, and probably Wagner than I am uh, Tickner. Um, coming into that, you know, to coming into that side. I also think Matt Henry's a great option in these New Zealand conditions as well. And with a pink ball could be, um, could be a hell of a handful as well. So um, yeah, look, I hope you leave him out because I think he's, a, he's got a proven big match temperament um, and a little bit of a point to prove as well. And, a, and an opportunity now that Bolt isn't going to be available to say, do you know what? I might not lead the attack that, you know, that's probably going to be Tim Southey. Um, but I'm a guy with, you know, a couple of hundred plus test, uh, test wickets and um, better average than those other guys. Better as average well. than some of those guys. And, you know, you know, he's going to try your heart out for you as well. So, um, yeah, I, I hope he does get left out. I don't think there's any chance that, that he gets left out. I, I guess I just think that, you know, yeah, like I said, it, it, he's got a, a point. He's yeah, got yeah. a point to prove. I, I, I disagree, though. I think. Neil Wagner has proven for a very, very long time for New Zealand that he is far, far better than... I'm not saying that you're one of his critics, Stu, but far, far better than his critics give him credit for. I mean, if you have a look at Neil Wagner's average over the last four calendar years, 17, 24, 28, and 33 in just... 
Oh, that's 33 last year in 2002. Hasn't played a test in 2023 yet, obviously. So that's a really, really good record. Four, three out of four years under 30 as a fast bowler. And if you have a look at maybe the, the, the counterparts for that, uh, Matt Henry's last four years, 74, 29, 26, and only one test this year, averaging 63 and a half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're comparing like for like, Neil Wagner's record stacks up to anybody in that New Zealand squad. I know that there's lots of people who criticise him from an age perspective, but he's so fit and he bowls so much that I don't think his age is a factor. I think his age only becomes a factor if he's no longer fit. If he's as fit as he is, there's no reason why he can't keep doing what he's doing. And 90% of Neil Wagner three years ago was still a very, very good test cricketer. Um, so, you know, to all the Neil Wagner critics out there, I, I let's don't think just see many. what he can do. I, I think everyone's cheering for, for Wagner. I think everyone they lo- should. You know, exactly. Everyone loves that attitude. Yeah, yeah, a huge heart and a strong back. It's it's just a watch. It's just a watch for me, and, okay. and it's something that I yeah I, I I want I want him to turn the you know to turn this around and, and kind of show that he he is an impactful uh, cricketer for New Zealand and still can be. Fair point. Uh, what what about the England squad? We probably sh- you know should sort of touch on them 15, 20 minutes into the into the podcast. W- when I look at the side, uh, there's still England's starting to have that uh, that India ish. Uh, not a problem, but uh, sort of look to their certainly their bowling attack in that there are a lot of different options that they can pick. You know, oh. the squad is there's no Mark Wood, there's no Joffrey Archer. Obviously, Archer's just come back. But you know, tell us a bit about the I guess some of the the fifty fifty decisions that, that you see in this squad, Binksy, because I think a lot of the batting probably speaks for itself, and and then there'll be a few question marks about the makeup of the bowling attack. Yeah. The the difficult thing is to predict what this England selection <laughs> panel will will do. You know they've proved that they're going to pick people that they think are going to be successful. Um, they're going to pick you know some probably slightly left field options in terms of the ability to take twenty wickets and the the and that's what they've talked a hell of a lot about. So mm. whilst the batting's got a lot of the plaudits, you know I think if you look at the way England have gone about this nine test match run is they've thought about how they're going to take 20 wickets and they've been prepared um, to pick some players that you go, hold on a second, Will Jacks as a, as a spin option in Pakistan, really? Mm. Um, five for on debut. Um, Jack Leach, lots of question marks about him, came good in that series as well. I- important, important wickets, but also knowing when they wanted to, to, to move their seamers around a little bit. So I think Stuart Broad, uh, he's got a pretty good record um, with a pink ball in his hand coming into this tour refreshed he's not played a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of cricket uh, his wife's just given birth um, to their first child I think so he's, you know taking some time out and missed that Pakistan um, tour Jimmy Anderson interestingly doesn't have a great record in in New Zealand so mm. averages over 30 in, in New Zealand um, but then you contrast that to averaging 19 with a pink ball you know he's, <laughs> he's almost certain to play you know that first game at Mount Monganui I think uh, the question marks I've got is what do they do with the wicket keeping option? Um, so, you know, we, we've seen Ollie Pope take the gloves. Um, obviously, he's in the squad alongside Ben Folks. Um, I think Folks played in that last test match in Pakistan. Yep. And you think that they would stick with 
folks be behind the stumps, but you just don't know what they're thinking in terms of a plan to take 20 wickets in a um, in a pink ball match. The other question mark really for me is whether or not Ollie Stone gets a game. I think they've liked the fact that they've had a you know a 145k plus, um, so 90 mile an hour in old money type bowler. In, in their sides where they can. It was certainly hugely impactful having Wood in, in that it, it, in Pakistan. I, you know, you look at what happened with New Zealand, we were missing a, a Mark Wood, that sheer pace. Chuck Archer had the same impact in South Africa yeah. when he played. Yeah, look, a, a, absolutely. The only thing I'd say, and I know, you know, Ollie Stone's, a, a, you know, someone that you played a bit of cricket with, I think, Stu, he, he's not in the mould of Mark Wood or Jofra Archer. He's not quite in that consistently bowls at 93, 94 miles an hour. Mm. He's in the, the odd ball, probably tips into that 90 category, and he, he's probably a you know a guy that operates around 87, 88 miles an hour. So I, I don't think he's necessarily a shoo-in, particularly for that first test match, because I think um, Ollie Robinson plays, I think Broad plays, I think Jimmy Anderson, uh, Jimmy Anderson plays. Um, and then I think it's really what they do with, uh, you know, whether or not they do want that sort of spin option in there. Um, I, I, I think that they might go along the lines of what you guys are doing, really, and, and pick a guy that can bat seven or eight in Will Jackson, offer a few overs of spin in a, in a pink ball game, uh, rather than going in there with, with Jack Leach. And that probably just allows them to, to make sure that they can um, keep folks in that uh, in that side as well um, with a bit of Ben Stokes as a seam option Joe Root who's an underrated spinner in test cricket not only as a wicket taking option but he, he can actually come on and do a holding role as well although I don't expect England to do uh, <laughs> ask no. too many people to do um, it, that you know that holding role it's actually amazing what Stokes and, and Root being able to bowl so effectively and, and probably more Stokes, you know. Well, I mean, to be fair, Root to Root in in the right conditions as well can can play those roles. But, I mean, what, what Stokes can do, I'm very jealous in, in terms of, you know, he's obviously a genuine all-rounder. This is not, this is not revelatory stuff by me saying this, but, you know, it does just completely give you options because, like you say, now you can bat Will Jacks down. At, you know, you can bat Will Jacks and Ben Folks down at seven and eight. And I mean, on paper, that batting lineup looks really, really strong. And I think the thing that probably doesn't get spoken about enough about Stokes with the ball is that he can actually do a number of different jobs. He, he can actually come in if you want and bowl four or five hours, uh, four or five hours. Yeah, he actually do, yeah, could, he could that, but yeah. four or five overs of bounces. He can swing the ball, the, yeah. the new ball. He can reverse the old ball. He, he's very, very skillful. Um, he's going to bowl the odd bad ball because I, I just think he obviously doesn't probably bowl enough. Um, you know, his body is kind of held together with sort of araldite and sticking plaster, <laughs> isn't it? But he's got the ability to do two or three different jobs with the ball, which is you know, such a luxury. And he tries stuff. I mean, we see it when he bats. He walks down the wicket once and over, it feels like, you know, because he's just like, okay, I'm going to try something here. I'm going to try and dictate the game to the opposition. And occasionally that goes slightly wrong and you bowl the four ball. But he is so dangerous because he's prepared to try something. And that makes him dangerous as captain as well because England are, are going to... We're going to see, when we go down and watch this test match in Tauranga in, in a week's time, we're going to see four slips for an extended period of time. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see a massive cordon and a huge challenge put out to those New Zealand top-order batters to say, look, there's a big gap at cover. If you're good enough to hit through the covers on day one, you have at it, fella. So it's going to be an exciting test match. And like you say, it's going to be entirely unpredictable in terms of which way the, the ball's going to bounce and the cookie's going to crumble, but it's going to be exciting all the way. 
I think we're probably all itching to talk about these tactics. Binksy, was there anything else on the squad you wanted to, to touch on just before we do move on? Yeah, look, the, the only thing I, I, I say, that the thing I'm probably most excited about seeing is um, is Harry Brook. Um, he uh, has burst onto the scene across all three formats. Um, I think probably the question that remains to be answered in the short term is how is he going to cope against the ball that's you know nibbling around he's only played that one test match in in England um played in Pakistan and and looked he looked like he'd been on several tours of of Pakistan um the the way that he 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 faced their spinners so look I think that's you know that's the question for me I I don't necessarily think the pitches are those kind of hard fast Australian or South African wickets that are going to really test what he's like when it's put into his rib cage and under his nose but he's certainly going to have to face you know some very very skillful practitioners with that uh, pink kookaburra in hand so you know that's the thing I'm really most looking forward to to see whether or not he really does emerge as this um, test match number five that's going to be inked in for um, yeah what, what I think will be a Kevin Peterson like career talking about batting in in New Zealand you both of you two have more batting proficiency than me what do you think it is about New Zealand pitches that overseas teams seem to really struggle because New Zealand teams actually seem to bat reasonably well here in New Zealand when you actually look back at New Zealand's record in like the last 10 years a lot of our tests have been built around either bowling first and knocking the opposition over quickly but then we always build a good score and even when we're actually sent in we're generally building something that's 350 plus in that first innings and then coming out and knocking the opposition over once or twice I mean you know I looked back at some of these games both at the Bay Oval and at the Basin Reserve and and yeah a lot of the recent ones I mean uh, Bangladesh beating us at the Bay Oval last summer aside that's kind of what happens that that at least in one of the innings, the opposition, and I mean, actually, you look at that Bangladesh game, that's what happened to New Zealand. New Zealand got skittled for 160 in the third innings and lost the test. So what what do you think it is about the New Zealand pitches? Because like you said before, Binksy, they often look very green, but don't necessarily move you know, drastically all over the place or even swing miles and miles. They just seem to... Is it, is it just that they move and swing enough to catch an edge? Look, I think potentially, I think you've got to look at probably someone like Kane Williamson as a blueprint. He plays the ball really, really late. I think the other thing is that, look, and I don't know whether this is just a proximity to Australia. A lot of New Zealand players tend to play the short ball pretty well. You know, you're onto the pull shot pretty quickly. Uh, someone like Williamson back cuts and cuts pretty well. We know Latham's really, really good square the wicket player. I think the danger, you know, if I kind of look at it for, you know, from an England perspective as the visiting batting team coming here, I I just wonder whether or not, probably it's just that the pace in those wickets isn't there. So I think if England do try and go after it too much, that's where they might get unstuck. I think, you know, I think they're going to have to play slightly smarter in terms of maybe some of the shot selection than they did on those really docile pitches in, um, in Pakistan and probably slightly quicker truer pitches in that English summer that they that they encountered. I agree, Adam. I think the, the key for playing in New Zealand, as it is everywhere really, uh, is to play the ball really late and with soft hands. You see that the, the great New Zealand practitioners have all played with soft hands. Kane Williamson, best player in the world from a soft hands point of view, um, or at least in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, he just plays the ball so late and so well under his eyes with such soft hands that even if he does nick, it, it, it will fall short. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of players come to New Zealand and and push 
at the ball. And even if you push just a little bit, that's enough for it to carry in. And New Zealand bowlers, let's give them credit, are good enough to find the seam on a regular basis and extract just enough out of the overhead conditions to move the ball half a bat width. And that's what that's what makes the difference. And if England's bowlers find that same pattern, New Zealand will be put under a lot of pressure as they were against South Africa, as they as they were against Bangladesh, uh, when Bangladesh won at the Bay, as you said. You know, pace did the job. So it, it is a case of making sure that your technique is rock rock tight, watertight. And England are gonna I think I have to temper their natural exuberance and expectation to dominate New Zealand's bowlers at some point in the test match. They're going to have to ride a period where England and New Zealand are just going to bowl well at them. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see whether England, like they do in the one-day team, uh, one-day format, just continue to hit and go after the ball and hit themselves out of that out of that patch, or they just go, you know what, we're going to allow test cricket to ebb and flow a little bit more than that than we've seen in the last 10 test matches, because really they have dominated under all conditions. They're not going to that way. They're just going to keep going. That I, I feel that's like the question. I feel like that's what we've been talking. All of this whole you know era of Stokes and McCullum, we've been saying, oh yeah, soon they'll come to a rocky patch and they'll you know change their tactics. But they don't. They, they just they just put the foot down even harder, don't they? Yeah. Look I, again, I'm going to use a shit analogy here, but <laughs> if you look at that batting side, England have got. Um, a couple of Lamborghinis and a Ferrari. They've got, you know, Zach Crawley's going to play his shots. Ben Duckett's definitely going to play his shots. Ollie Pope is going to play his shots. If they wanted a BMW 5 Series, a nice, comfortable, leather-seated sedan to just cruise along the motorway, they'd have brought in a Dom Sibley. Um, they'd have picked a player that's going to give you that. I absolutely think that that top three, particularly, are going to go hell for leather. I think probably the only player that you know might play a little bit more traditionally is is Joe Root. If England are in a little bit of strife at thirty for two, he might just come in and absorb a little bit of pressure. But I'm pretty sure once he gets to 40, 50, 60, you're going to see him play the way that he's played in the last 12 months or so. He's got a big point to prove in terms of an IPL gig coming up. Mm. Um, He wants to be in and around that T20 side as well. So look, I I actually think that if you look at that England batting lineup, there's probably only Ben Folkes, who's an orthodox player, um, and who's going to play in that orthodox uh, fashion through the course of this series? I, I yeah, I, I just think they're just going to go hell for leather again. Can I ask you a question from a New Zealand point of view, Banksy? What do you think New Zealand has to actually do to combat that? Because, you, I mean, you've obviously watched a, a lot of England over the past twelve months. I think when when I think about New Zealand and how we played in that series against England, you know, over there, I think that that aggressive positive style actually got to us a lot i think it you know traditionally new zealand has played this style where we try and last as long as we can and win all those big moments but england played at such a pace that those moments were gone before new zealand could even grab them and i i look at this side that's playing and it's very similar you know all very similar players and i don't quite know like without Thinking, I mean, obviously New Zealand are good enough. Those bolt that bowling lineup is good enough to run in and knock England over, which they've they've done before. But I think it's going to be very interesting to see if they've actually learned any lessons. And I'm I'm keen to get your view on what those lessons might be to actually combat the way England's going about things. So this is this is where I'm quite torn because I I think the the answer is 
I am. I just want England to carry on playing like this now. <laughs> I've I've taught myself out of the fact that they need to be more circumspect and play traditionally and respect the history of the game and do what the percentage tells you to do. Mm. At the end of the day, we're nine from nine playing the way that we're playing. Let's carry on. I still think a day comes where we nick everything and we're, you know, 80 all out. I absolutely think that that's the case. Mm. So I, I think what New Zealand have probably got to do is actually trust that Tim Southey has got, well, you tell me, but, you know, it's 300 plus test mm. wickets. You've got Neil Wagner, we've talked about, who's got a better average than most guys that have, have pulled on a, a black cap um, with the ball. So I think they've just got to trust that they're going to be able to do that in their home conditions. What's going to be really important is what they do if England get off to a flyer um, or get into that, you know, Cookerborough 30 overs old, not quite reversing, flat wicket, quick outfield, and they will just go and they will just continue to go. So it, it's then how do they actually get a little bit more funky with what they might try and make England do. And um, I said it in the series against Pakistan, um, I didn't think New Zealand were kind of funky enough in terms of trying to create those 20 wickets. They didn't They didn't do anything outside of the box. They were a little bit too traditional in their approach. So I think if England are going to play, you know, the anti-traditional way, I think that the only way that you counter that is to actually try and outsmart them and do something that they're not going to expect. Because at the moment, they are expecting what's coming from the opposition, particularly with the ball, and they're, and they're happy enough to... Um, you know, you look at someone like Harry Brook and they try to bowl outside his leg stump and he just went, you can look at all three of my stumps. I'm <laughs> going to stand outside leg and I'm going to hit you inside out over cover. You, you're going to go down and try and make me kick it away. I'm not going to kick it away. I'm just going to sweep the shit out of it. <laughs> so I, I think they have to then try something that is counter to what England would expect. Yeah, I, I think from a New Zealand point of view, I'll be very disappointed if they don't. I, I really think that we have to, we have to see some level of uh learning from what what happened in england because if they don't uh, yeah I, I think it could easily just it could follow the exact same pattern and you know I, I, i'm not especially worried about the bowling in terms of uh how we go like we've just said i think there's a lot of quality in that side i think new zealand's gonna have to get some runs like actually put on a, a big total and that's what really failed them in those uh england in that england series is that they got kind of got themselves into these good positions with the ball in certain in certain moments, and then they just get two fifty all out or you know two hundred all out or whatever it was, and kind of just lost all the momentum that they had. So, yeah, I, I really I, I I don't specifically kind of know what I want them to do and, and you know to have learned from that series, but I think they have to show something and show ways that they've kind of got plans for different batters when they come to the crease and in different field positions or, you know, different ways to, to do things than, than they might have otherwise done six months ago. And just one more quick point from me. I think the other factor is, as long as there's not any weather around, I don't think that England's tactic of putting time into the game as they did in Pakistan is going to be as important. Mm -hmm. I still think there's going to be plenty of time. Um, you, you know, I, again, I was really critical of the way that New Zealand batted in that um, that test match in Pakistan. I didn't think they put the foot to the floor when they needed to, to put time in, in the game. I know you guys disagree with that and that, you know, that's cool. You're entitled to your opinion no matter how wrong it is. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I think in, in New Zealand conditions, I, I don't think that England scoring at five and over if they do or, 
uh, four and a half and is actually going to make a difference in terms of a result still still being possible. I, I still think that New Zealand will then have the ability to go out and bat in the way that Latham and Williamson and Mitchell have historically batted, and it's not going to matter. We're not going to be in a situation where you know the light meters are out uh, and we're in a, a whole heap of strife, particularly obviously in that day night test match. We'll probably get to to predictions in a second. Just before we do go to that, uh, a big picture kind of question for for both of you guys actually around, you know, we're about to go into the the pink ball test. There's been a bit of chat recently about, you know, all the stuff that we saw in Pakistan of lights and, and, and all, you know, getting these situations out of test cricket where we end up losing time for, for various reasons. A pink ball, pink ball tests as the norm have been, has been one of the options suggested I think that you you mentioned off air there's a little bit of work to be done on the that kookaburra ball to actually kind of make that possible and and uh, you know for for a consistent level Do, would we like that I mean we we've all been very traditional in the way we've built our test cricket but then uh, you know the past 12 months Binksy you've even been saying about how you've come on board this uh, baseball type of cricket is traditional test cricket sitting there in the sunshine with a you know red ball white clothing would you be upset if we moved to pink ball all the time if the ball's good enough like if 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 the play, if the view of the test playing community and it's really the players that we have to look at here to be mm. to be fair right if it's their view that the pink ball is as good a quality as the red ball like it lasts the same amount it has similar properties from a a lacquer perspective so it sort of wears similarly to a red ball i know they're constructed differently and and all the rest of it you know in the way that they're, they're built and dyed versus painted and all that kind of stuff but if you can get a similar amount of longevity out of a pink ball i don't see any argument against well personally i would be in, i wouldn't say there's no argument against there's probably lots um I would be in favour of a pink ball test if for no other reason that it solved the problem of dark red ball, overcast conditions means we must go off the cricket field. Mm. Because there's nothing worse as a fan of the game to watch 2.30 in the afternoon, players walk off and then can't come back on until the light improves. And that is the consistent baseline that's measured against for the rest of the test match. Now, that... That rule, that that playing condition may need to be adjusted because pink ball is not the only thing that's capable of fixing that playing condition. But if if pink ball tests all the time do nothing other than solve the issue of going off for bad light when the fans can sit there and watch the game and the players could play, then that's a positive in my view. I don't, for me personally, I don't think the... 200 odd years of cricket played with a red ball is necessarily something that should stop the progression of the game um, but that's only that's my, only my personal opinion Binksy anything to add on that? Uh, look I'm conflicted because I agree with Bordy again <laughs> the, the, the bit that I'm just going to say though is Bordy's opening sentence there was if the pink ball is good enough and it isn't so for me it's a mute point until that can be rectified. Let's be perfectly honest here as well. Um, if we look at Pakistan and this series or two series that have just gone on, mm. they have played test matches in venues in the wrong time of the year where they know that dusk is going to come far too soon and 
they can't start earlier because there's ground, uh, there's overhead conditions, smog or dew or whatever it might be that's going to make it impossible to start at 9.30 so that you can finish at 4.30. Mm. So what we're talking about here is in a number of specific venues, we know that red ball cricket is going to be curtailed. If I'm brutally honest, it doesn't happen in England that that much anymore. Yes, you might get the odd, really, really overcast day somewhere like Old Trafford or even Lords. It doesn't really matter where, you know, you're not going to see, you know, 6.30 stumps. But most of the time um, in England, it's completely fine. Most of the time in Australia, um, it's completely fine. I know we've had some issues, but I think what we've almost got to look at, we analyse the game so much from a statistical perspective. Let's talk about really when those overcast conditions between 5.30 and 6.30 have actually caused the curtailment of play or, or when it's been, you know, something a little bit out of the ordinary and then the cricket that we play in the subcontinent where the light comes in really, really, um, really, really quickly. I think then what we also look at, um, and it's a really difficult one because we're talking about broadcast revenue versus bums on seats in the stadium. Mm. England does not struggle to fill all of its six or seven test match grounds for day red night uh, red ball cricket games australia by and large does not struggle in big bigger series to you know to get good crowds watching cricket what we're talking about i think is um almost the death of the game in some of those nations that don't play as much test cricket um, and in the subcontinent where they're brought up obviously on a diet of white ball cricket and there's less people you, you only need to look at those stadiums in Pakistan oh, against yeah. New Zealand it was it was horrible it was soul destroying to see um, two pretty good cricket sides playing in an almost empty stadium to yeah. be perfectly honest so I think that it's actually a horses for courses where the pink ball is needed to drive that crowd and drive that atmosphere and drive that probably television product use the pink ball but where you don't need to use the pink ball let, let's stick to the red ball because let's be honest we wouldn't see I don't think a, a Tim Southey a Trent Bolt a James Anderson um, a Pat Cummins a Mitchell Stark be you know have the careers that they've had with the ability to do what they can do with a red cricket ball um, if we if we'd have been playing with that pink ball, which really isn't fit for purpose, it's a really interesting point. Perhaps the answer is not that all tests should be pink ball tests, but actually be better at scheduling which tests should be red ball and pink ball ones. <laughs> fix the actual problem. Fix the actual problem, right? As as Adam said, and pink ball tests day night fix the light problem, right? Mm. Because the lights are on at night, it's artificial light for the majority of the test match anyway, and therefore with the pink ball as well, that solves the light problem. So maybe not all tests being pink ball, but you actually have a look at it and go, when's it going to be sunset? Well, it's going to be at five <laughs> o'clock. Well, what happens if it gets, you know, a little bit cloudy and overcast at half past three? Well, then the light meter will come out. Well, actually, what's the forecast? Should we have a pink ball test? Well, that seems like a good idea. You know, like. It is okay to pivot and be flexible, even mm. if in the lead-up to a series, both teams sit down and go, we're not going to get any play if we have a red ball test in Adelaide. If we have a pink ball test in Adelaide, we'll get a full test match in. What do you think we should do? And then both teams have to look at it and go, well, what's best for the game of cricket? I know that doesn't happen very often, but maybe it should. Well, some... some uh but when Baldy's getting trying to tell us all about how to be sensible, then uh, it's probably time to move on to the next next segment. Give us your view, though, Stu. No, look, I I have a very open view to all of that kind of stuff, and I actually, you know, have an even sillier question that will show all the listeners how very little time I did spend at the crease uh, as a batter. 
Is it actually ridiculous to think that you could the light come? You know, can you switch? Could you switch to a pink ball from a red ball if the conditions, or is that just totally going to destroy your eyes and all of that kind of stuff? I don't think it's necessarily about destroying your, your eyes. So look, I, I was lucky enough to play pretty much a, a whole season of pink ball cricket. Um, the MCC were actually trialling the pink ball in a lot of the MCC out matches. And mm. um, so we, we played a hell of a lot with that pink ball. And um, it, once you'd kind of got used to it, it was actually pretty easy to pick up. I think the issue comes with what happens when you've got a ball that's just started to reverse. Yeah, yeah. Or you know it's it's you know you're in the middle of a Stuart Broad spell where he's absolutely on fire, and then the lights come on and you get something that's a little bit of a dud. So I, look, I I think that the cricket ball and um, the brand of cricket ball, um, the softness of the cricket ball, the hardness of the cricket ball, the <laughs> fact that a kookaburra is machine made and a dukes is handmade, the fact that there's a different ball in India, the SG ball, mm. the fact that one might reverse and one might not and you try and get it changed. It, it, it all adds to the fabric of that game. And the reality is in test cricket, the majority of people watching test cricket understand that. In one day cricket, they don't care. Bring out another box and just hit it into the road. <laughs> so I, I think there is still um, there is still absolutely space for that little bit of this is a variable. Um, and even if you take it into other sports, you, you've got situations where every single soccer or football, as I would call it in my neck of the woods, World Cup comes around. They talk about the ball and whether yeah. it swerves and whether the keeper is going to be disadvantaged and what that means to penalty shootouts and all those kind of things. So. I personally think that that wouldn't be something I would be an advocate of. I think you've, you've got to have that in the game for, for me. But um, again, I, you know, we'll all have a slightly different view on it. Let's go to predictions then. We, we, uh, we'll, we'll start with the series predictions. We'll come to you, Baldy, neutral, sort of who wins, why? 1-1. One, 1-1? One. One, one. One, one. I, 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 think, I think New Zealand are good enough to win a test in their home conditions honestly and I think they yeah I, I think they're good enough to win a test in their own conditions and England are a very good cricket side I don't think we're going to get a draw I don't haven't seen the forecast for, for the next couple of weeks I haven't even paid any attention to yeah, that I assume we're, we're going to get result cricket hope, either way weather doesn't play we could play for two days and still get a result between <laughs> these two sides um, I just I just think New Zealand are good in their home conditions I know a lot of people will be saying England 2-1 but I have faith in this New Zealand side particularly their bowling attack can I just ask a follow up question to that to say it, a year ago, well, you know, after before we played Bangladesh and and you know that last home summer, saying New Zealand are good enough to win a test in their own conditions would have would have been viewed as a as a negative. Mm. But you're saying it more as a positive. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think there's a view that England are playing so well at the moment that it's a, a lay down Mazir two 0 to England, and it's not. I, I think. New Zealand are still a very good cricket team in their home conditions. Okay, they don't have Ross Taylor, they don't have Trent Bolt that they had 18 to 24 months ago. New players have come through. But they've still got some excellent, excellent test cricketers in their side. They're still capable of taking 20 wickets. And I think that maybe not consistently, but they are still capable of putting on big scores. So that's that's my viewpoint. And yes, they've fallen away a little bit in the last 24 to 36 months because some of the greats of the game are not there anymore. 2-0 New Zealand for me. Oh, Banksy, don't do this. Tell us what you actually think. I can't change that habit. So I can <laughs> I can change the habit of being positive about the way that we're playing, but I'm not changing the, the mentality that we're going to lose the series 
But tell me why. So tell me if you actually genuinely think, okay, you're, this is a tricky place to come and uh, and you think it's going to struggle, tell me why. So I think I'm going to look back to, I think, I, was it two winters ago where New Zealand went to Australia to play a series for the first time in a, in a decent amount of time. You had a Boxing Day test match mm-hmm. and there was a, there was a buzz. There was some anticipation that this was the opportunity for you to go and really be competitive in Australia against a pink ball in one of those test matches um, and at traditional, you know, big gabatoir style environments Mm. and you got your asses handed to you. Yeah, we can move on quickly. And I I, I think for me, it's a similar scenario. You have been so good at home for such a long period of time. I look at Yes, you have a couple of question marks in there. Let's be honest. We talk a hell of a lot about who New Zealand are going to play as a spinner because you two are both spinners and you like talking about spin. The reality is you haven't really done that for a long, long time. You've got a sensational pace attack. You've got maybe one guy that's a question mark with the bat at the moment. You've got two genuine world-class batters in Conway and Williamson. You've got a very good one in Tom Latham. You've got a guy who's in the form of his life in Daryl Mitchell at the moment um, across all three formats. And you've got a team that are probably in that sort of 31, 32 average age. Um, so I think that, you, you know, you are and should be favourites regardless of the recent form book for, from England. Um, so that's my, that's my rationale. Well, that was a convincing answer. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I don't like believe I, a word of it. <laughs> I think it's. A, I, I do think it's a really interesting series for New Zealand in terms of, like, I feel like I've seen it for for many for the for many of the past series. This is a really interesting series to kind of see where New Zealand is at. But we're sort of at the point where they kind of have to start winning because otherwise, if they're not going to win. You know, if they're not going to be able to get test wins against some of these better sides, and even I think we were much better side than Pakistan, and we we didn't do the job, and we actually have to start winning. We've got you know this series, and then we've got Sri Lanka, who again traditionally we would think Sri Lanka would come here for two tests, and we would you know put them away quite easily. But it, New Zealand has, actually has to go about and do this. So I, I'm going to go with one one as well. I'm I'm kind of not ready to give up on New Zealand yet I still think there is a very good cricket side in there you know all of these kind of question marks aside you know I we were in all of those those tests in in England we were in all of them we could have won we could have easily won that test series 3-0 we just have to find ways to combat this England side and what they do and we actually have to go about it in a smart way and I don't think that we did that over in uh, over in England and I want to see it happen here any, anything bold for us before we before we press uh, into this podcast? Anything bold for the series? I don't need to make any bold predictions about an England cricket side at the moment. They'll they'll make their own as they go through the course of the season <laughs> series. I think you've got a good point. Uh, bold bold predictions. I don't really have anything bold from the series because it's so like we don't know what we're going to get really, and it's so exciting that. It's hard to kind of come up with hyperbole when you're looking at England cricket at the moment, as Adam said. I, I didn't really prepare anything bold because I think we're just going to have to tune in and watch. I have one, and I, and I think it's that Blair Tickner will debut at the Basin, and I think he'll have a really good test. There's a lot of criticism around him as his place in the squad. I will say I also don't necessarily agree or see see what the selectors necessarily see in him over some of the other bowlers. 
But I just have a feeling he's going to play in, in uh, the basin. I don't. I like you say. I don't think we're going to play. We're going to see much spin in this series, or or spin play a significant part. And I think he'll give a good good account of himself and, and take a few wickets. Awesome. Well, boys, I for one cannot wait to get to Mount Monganui and the Bay Oval for that day night Test match starting on the sixteenth of February. We've got a, an absolute cornucopia of test cricket on at the moment. So do dig back into the back catalogue because the Australia um, test series preview for India went up a couple of days ago. You've got this to listen to as well and then you've got a whole load of test cricket to watch. But for now, it's good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>